Hello, and welcome to Everyday SEL. My name is Christopher Williams with the Sacramento County Office of Education. And joining me as always are my C. Lee of Sac City Unified School District, Shauna Cook-Harvey of Folsom Cordova Unified School District, and Hannah Colentine Cole, also of Sacramento County Office of Education. Welcome, everybody. How are you all good, doing? Good morning. Great. <laughs> good morning. So a uh, couple headlines. Well, first of all, we are in, what is it, week four of the stay-at-home order from the governor, Governor Gavin Newsom of California. Um, in some respects, it seems like it's gone fairly quickly. In some respects, it feels like I've been locked in my house for more than four weeks. And um, not every governor, of course, across the country has issued the stay-at-home warning. Many, many folks across the country are experiencing the exact same thing we are, which is uh, stay-at-home order, self-quarantine. Uh, the headlines this week are that the surge is coming. You know, we shouldn't even be going to the grocery store. We shouldn't be going anywhere. We need to be wearing masks. And, of course, relative to our conversation and our profession is that last week, uh, Governor Newsom issued a recommendation along with state superintendent that uh, schools should remain closed. The school buildings should remain closed through the end of the school year. And all of us in Sacramento County, the entire, all the districts in Sacramento County agreed that they would not reopen school buildings this school year. It's looking very likely that all the majority, if not all districts in California will follow suit if they haven't already. And so that's 6 million Students in California alone will not be returning to their school buildings this year. And if we look more broadly across the country, it looks like the majority of our over 50 million school kids, school age children, will not be returning to their school buildings this year. And this, of course, offers a whole host of challenges. And we've been talking a little bit about this already, and we want to talk about it today, is... Um, what is happening with schooling? Um, and what we are seeing, of course, is that there is this rush, a Herculean effort to create online learning for in California, 6 million students and across the country, again, for the majority of 50 million students, something that has not been done at the scale in our country, in our state. And in the conversations that we've had in Sacramento County, both individually and collectively, is how are we getting online learning? And what we're seeing, of course, is a tremendous amount of conversation on the logistics, uh, internet access, Chromebooks, partnerships with Google, as well as the content, getting content up online. You know, uh, how are folks meeting the requirements? How are we going to make sure that there's no lost learning, no lost instructional time? And what we are, what I'm seeing personally is not a ton of conversation around um, how are folks feeling about this? And what are schools doing to attend to the social and emotional impact, mental health, mental wellness impact that this is having on these 6 million young people and their families and their teachers? So we'd love to talk about how can we embed SEL content into the conversations around content uh, and this online learning. Micey, you are the director of SEL for 
one of the larger school districts in our county, Sac City Unified. What are the conversations that you have been having? Where do you see the lack of, of this attention being paid? And what's you, what are you and your team doing? Thank you, Chris. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation we're having. Um, and by and large, we are talking about all those things that you just mentioned. Do we have enough technology? Do we have sufficient um, uh, internet access for all of our students? So speaking of equity access and, and um, social justice, right? That's our, that's our guiding principle in Sac City. Um, and those are mm. all really important pieces to be talking about now. Um, you know, we're also talking about uh, essential standards that our students need to um, have access to for the remainder of the year. Um, and so again, content is important. That's why we are in public education. Um, but I, I think that one of the things that we really have encouraged and have um, wanted folks to pivot to with respect to social emotional learning is this idea that we have to care for people um, before we talk about content, especially in light of this worldwide crisis that we all find ourselves in. Mm. Um, and so uh, more than ever, this is a reminder that um, we have to focus on process before product. Um, and what that means is the way in which we engage in distance learning have to really hone in on the, uh, the, the people and the humanity of what teaching and learning is um, about. Um, so our team uh, have worked closely with our academic counterpart um, coaches to really think about what this means um, for, for distance learning. And so we have actually uh, worked on a modified version of the three SEL signature practices along with our academic um, integration framework um, to hone in on some key things that we would hope um, that will serve as a guide for our and yeah, no, sorry, no sorry to interrupt, Micey. Just want to, um, uh, there may be some folks who are listening who don't know what the three signature practices are. So tell us a little bit about that. Where did you find them? What do they mean before, before talking about how you integrate them into curriculum? Oh, of course. If you don't mind. Um, and the, so the three signature practices came from uh, the work that we've done with CASEL or the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning. Um, and specifically in the work that... Um, the CDI, the collaborative for the, the collaborating district uh, initiative um, worked on. And again, really the purpose is to ensure that we're cultivating a community that connects um, and that the work that we're doing is meaningful and purposeful um, and that we leave with a sense of accomplishment. So, Great. So in, uh, so three signature practices um, are, are key um, ways that we build uh, communities, so welcoming, inclusive um, practices would be, for example, the way we would um, bring people together in a meeting to ensure that, that we all have um, equal voice and the, that we feel a sense of connection um, to the group that we are engaging with. And uh, then the second uh, practice would be around engaging strategies, the way in which we um, uh, help people to make sense of what it is that they're working on, whether it's in a classroom lesson or in a uh, boardroom meeting. 
Um, and then the last practice is around this idea of cultivating optimistic closure, um, how we leave the space um, knowing that we have a sense of purpose and that we've done some work that's meaningful um, and with a sense of hope. Uh, in the, the, the guidance that we have uh, put together, again, in collaboration with our academic counterparts, really thinking about ways that teachers can, uh, whether it's face-to-face -face via Zoom or Google Meet, or through a Google Classroom for, uh, platform, um, that teachers are really engaging their students in creating that sense of connection and community. So as we think about um, physically distancing, we're also wanting to make sure that students and uh, teachers are also staying connected socially and emotionally. And so having a welcoming activity, whether it's a quick prompt that students reflect on uh, in Google Classroom or a quick prompt that in uh, Zoom they can share out. Um, so it might be something as, as simple as, what's your weather system today? How are you, how are you feeling, right? A quick check-in. Mm -hmm. um, the second uh, uh, guidance that we're asking teachers to, to do is around this idea of goal setting. As we move towards independence and independence uh, in learning for our students, really ensuring that they are staying focused and uh, being self-disciplined in, in the work and the tasks that are assigned. And so um, after a welcoming activity, we might ask uh, a student to set a goal. For, for example, how am I going to stay focused today to ensure that I accomplish the task, the academic task that my, that my teacher has um, assigned? And, and also, um, that that goal is being reflected on towards the, the end of each task. Um, the third thing goes back to that, those engaging strategies. So maybe there are brain breaks that are woven into um, the academic test that a teacher reminds um, their students to take regular and frequent brain breaks. It could be a one-minute mindfulness uh, breathing strategy. Um, it may also be opportunities for students to connect with each other. So a teacher might buddy up or pair up two students who might check in on, on each other. Um, and they can do this through FaceTime or just a quick uh, text. Um, and then lastly, the optimistic closure is this idea of how do we um, uh, bring meaning to the, again, both the content as well as the process of what they've learned. Um, so an optimistic closure, an example might be, um, you know, today, today I learned something that was really interesting and I will share it with so-and-so. I will share it with my, um, my best friend. Um, or if I had a buddy in the classroom, today I learned that, you know, such and such was really interesting and I will um, uh, do a FaceTime uh, check in with my um, my my buddy. So, I th again, these um, guiding uh, exemplars are just a way for us to remember that there are human beings um, in this learning space, and that um, again, in this time, we want to ensure that we are connecting to the human beings and the um, uh, these sort of so staying socially connected um, as opposed to just focusing on, on content and standards. I love all of that, Micey. You said so many fantastic things. Um, first of all, just how you summarized it at the end there, that it's important to remember that we are all humans and that the human connection is critically important. And so many of the things that you said reflect for me directly back to that castle, those core competencies, right? 
So a welcoming ritual, uh, kind of asking people to kind of take a, take a weather check, right? Am I feeling cloudy? Am I feeling sunny? Am I feeling, um, you know, uh, really hot today? Am I feeling cool? That is a way for them to identify where they are, right? That self-awareness and, uh, and identifying their emotions, but then creating those connection pieces is helping to build their uh, social awareness, but also their relationship building skills, right? And Zoom has a great platform to do breakout rooms. So teachers can create breakout rooms where students are now connecting with either their buddies or in small groups to build those relationships and build those connections, which are really critical to continuing to build the social emotional skills, which of course lead to responsible decision-making. Um, and, so the, all of those tips were really fantastic and great ways for teachers to embed SEL into the content. Once again, the movement these days is not um, that you take 45 minutes a week to teach SEL, which is great, but how do you embed these practices into academics? And the tips that you just gave are, are great ways um, to, uh, for teachers to do that. Now, Sean, I would love to go to you because... I want to hear a little bit about why is this important? Mm -hmm. Why is it, we, we've heard a little bit of already, but it's a great reminder to understand why is it important for us to take these mindful moments uh, to embed SEL, particularly when we're going through <clears throat> literally a global trauma. Yeah. What does trauma do to us? And why is it important to, <clears throat> excuse me, recognize that trauma before we get to teaching content? Yeah, that's such a good question, Chris. And I think such a big part of that is embedded in um, an understanding of how emotions and learning are so deeply connected. Um, in order to engage in learning, we need to engage the emotions. Um, we know from research that deep understanding requires making emotional connections uh, between concepts, between the learners um, and one another with peers, between the learner and the teacher. Um, and that emotional, emotions are actually skills that adapt and accommodate to various circumstances. And everyone has different emotional reactions to different things. People respond differently, are emotive about different things at different times, right? So context matters a lot. Um, and so when we think about um, learning and emotions, but in a broader context of kind of shared stress and trauma, um, what that ends up uh, is really needing to understand uh, how that stress and that shared trauma actually impacts our ability to learn. So first of all, there's three different kinds of stress. There's the positive stress that um, is a, creates a brief increase in heart rate and elevates our stress hormones, allows us to focus. Um, it's the kind of stress that we need to perform well on a test or to present in front of a group of people, right? It's the little jitters, but that get us through and help us remain really focused. Then there's tolerable stress, which is serious temporary stress, um, but that can actually be buffered by close relationships, right? It's the type of stress that, you know, that leads us to call up our family or call a friend or talk to somebody and say, oh, can I just vent? I'm so pissed, right? It's that tolerable stress, but it, it prompts us to connect to others. And part of that is because 
uh, the stress hormones actually are reduced when we're in, in the midst of connection with others. So when my C is talking about um, building in um, opportunities for students to reflect on and become aware of their emotions during a lesson or to connect with a buddy to debrief, um, or to actually check in personally and be reflective in a journal prompt or um, you know, sharing a word about how they feel right now or what a next step might be. All of those things help us connect to others and helps lower um, that adrenaline and that cortisol that can um, show up when we're in the midst of a stressful situation. And then the third type of stress is called toxic stress. And it's the prolonged activation of stress hormones um, and that stress response system. Um, and in the absence of protective relationships, um, actually that toxic stress can be really damaging to developing brains for children, right? And um, for us adults, it could lead to other health outcomes that are associated with stress. Um, and so really the point is, is that we have to be attentive um, to what students are um, experiencing in the broader context of our society, within the context of learning new material or engaging in work that might be difficult or hard. Um, and I think the thing, you know, in our current context right now, it's the layers of stress that are the most interesting to me, right? So it's the teacher that um, under different circumstances might not, might be able to regulate their own personal stress and their own, the things they're lives and show up at school and kind of compartmentalize, but we're in a situation that is a whole new world, right? So even if we can compartmentalize the stress that we might be having with our spouse or partner or our own children or other things and bills and finances and all of that, all of those things still exist plus a pandemic, right? So it's the layers of those things that I think are really interesting to me. Um, and so when we look at um, actually the learning center of the brain is um, also the emotional center of the brain, right? The limbic system, which is made up of three different structures in the brain that are physically connected and integrated, but also rely on one another. And not to get too sciencey here, but we're talking about the prefrontal cortex, which regulates thoughts, emotions, and behavior. We have the amygdala, um, which reacts to stress and emotional arousal. And then the hippocampus, which stores learning and memory. So obviously you need all of those things to engage in learning, but those are also the same structures that can be quote unquote hijacked um, when you're in the midst of a, a stressful or traumatic experience. And so as we attempt as educators to engage in distance learning, I think it's really important for us to start, start with the SEL, start with the emotional connection, right? Because we know that trust trust is the antidote to stress. And that trust is what releases uh, the oxytocin, which is called the cuddle chemical. And when the cuddle chemical, that oxytocin is in our bloodstream, we, the, the cortisol is lowered, the adrenaline is lowered. It allows us to engage in higher order thinking again. It allows us to actually be more intentional, more focused, more engaged. It doesn't get rid of the trauma. It doesn't get rid of the stress, but it buffers it. Right? And so finding ways as we help kids engage with curriculum um, and learning and, and doing those you know, complex tasks, we have to be attending to the emotional needs of the students. And, and for, for that matter, all of our educators, our teachers um, have to be attending to their own emotional needs as well, right? And so finding opportunities for, for self-care and mindfulness become radically more important in this context than they might have been 
uh, previously. <clears throat> that's really, that's a fantastic breakdown. And I, I love how, um, how you are able to talk about it <clears throat> in a way that really is approachable and that we don't have to be neuroscientists to understand this. Uh, understand right. that there is a thing called a cuddle chemical and that that, yeah. that cuddle chemical literally mitigates the stress response that is natural. Yeah. That all of us have a stress response and that stress response is hardwired. We are uh, physiologically hardwired to have a stress response. And that yeah. stress response, um, among other things, makes it impossible for learning to take place because of the chemicals yeah. that are kind of coursing through our, our brain that you know, evoke that fight, flight, or freeze response that so many people talk about. And the it's a survival mode. We go straight into survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you know, if a bear is walking into your living room, you're not thinking, hmm, let's do the math on this. Could I run <laughs> to the back door? If I can, you know, if I can run six miles an hour, I can get to the back door, right? You're not doing a math problem to figure out how fast you can get away. Your body takes over and tells you you're either going to fight, you're going to run, or you're going to just freeze, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> and then understanding that, in, in large respect, the definition of toxic stress is that is our bodies remaining in that stress response mm -hmm. for a prolonged period of time. And that that has long-term, what the neuroscientists call downstream effects. Um, but this is what's really critical. I think this understanding of the cuddle chemical is that there are ways to mitigate and lower that stress response or to some degree mm -hmm. uh, help our bodies ease out of that stress response. And the mm -hmm. tips that Micey was giving, building human connection, I being actually first and foremost, identifying what you're feeling, right? And that's why that, that welcoming ritual, that check-in is so important. I'm feeling <clears throat> confused. I'm feeling cloudy. I'm feeling sandpapery. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a word. It can be a texture, a feeling, um, uh, 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 an analogy. And then allowing for that human connection to take place. Okay, here, get with a buddy, talk about how you're feeling, and that this doesn't have to be um, <clears throat> the entire content, but if we don't do it, then we are not allowing our bodies to ease out of that stress response, and therefore, that, that long-term memory is not going to be engaged. And so <clears throat> we have to take these practices and embed them into our lessons so that we are um, a reducing the stress response so that teaching and learning can take place but b so that we're teaching the skills right teaching the sel skills mm -hmm. of how to um, get ourselves out of that stress response when we're in it is that right exactly yeah and this is this is the type of skill building that sel is all about right mm -hmm. it's how to provide opportunities for students to identify um, the coping strategies the skills to be successful learners to be productive in life to be engaged citizens right and and identifying the emotions is such an important one because it offers us, offers us a measure of control that in an era that we're in right now that feels so far out of our control, right? We don't know when this is going to end, when we're going to be allowed to go outside, uh, you know, whether this, um, you know, virus is going to impact our own families, our close friends, our colleagues, right? There's so much out of our control, but being able to say, I'm scared, I'm frustrated, 
I'm angry, you know, being able to acknowledge that and then match that with a strategy that will help us cope with that emotion and get through that emotion is incredibly powerful. So if in, as educators, if we don't find opportunities for kids to practice that alongside uh, while they're engaging in academic learning, we're missing a really critical component here to, to fully engaging the whole child. Yep. And one of the things that I think is really important to this conversation is that, um, you know, as educators, we are prepared often as the, the, I mean, the phrase in many teaching programs is content expert, right? You're supposed to be the expert. You're supposed to have all of the answers. And I think what I hear sometimes from educators is, well, I'm not sure I want to ask kids to tell me how they're feeling, because what if they tell me something that I don't know how to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want to ask a question that then they give me an answer or ask me a question that I don't have an answer to. And I think what's really critically important is that with this process that's being described, with the three signature practices, the check-in, the giving opportunity to connect, is that we actually don't have to provide answers. What we have to do is provide to some degree permission to have the conversation. And that this is, I think, what's missing with these conversations right now about getting all of the content online and creating lessons online is that if we are not opening up the space for students to have these conversations, we the adults, <clears throat> then we are not modeling for the young people and in some ways, we are creating an implicit message that it's not okay to have these conversations, right? Mm-hmm. But if we mm-hmm. open up with uh, a check-in, you know, how are you feeling or a sentence stem, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, I think, Micey, you were talking about that weather check-in, you know, a sentence stem being like, if, mm-hmm. if you were the weather person reporting on, on your own uh, weather system, you know, uh, what's the forecast for today? You know, um, the forecast is for, for cloudy. The forecast is for sunny. The forecast is for whatever. Um, that's, that's a relatively simple thing that we can do um, that just opens up the space. And then again, through these connections, creating opportunities for students to talk to each other, we are implicitly giving permission to have these conversations and have to take away from the content, Right. A check-in like that could take five minutes and then maybe it becomes embedded in the lesson. Maybe uh, in middle school or high school in an ELA lesson, maybe we give a writing assignment to talk about, you know, um, like kind of like, what did you do over the weekend? Um, Micey, you were talking about earlier, uh, what are your, what are your hopes and dreams um, for after the, after the uh, stay at home order is lifted? What's the first thing you're going to do when the stay-at-home order is lifted? Um, what are the ways that you took care of yourself over the weekend? Um, these are things that people, students can have writing prompts around or discussion prompts maybe in uh, elementary school um, that are embedded in the lesson um, that don't take away from the content but help to open up the space for these conversations to take place so that then we are activating that um, cuddle chemical to then allow for the rest of the day to go a little bit more smoothly. Is that all, is that uh, kind of what, what I'm, I'm hearing people say so far? 
Yeah. And just to add to that, absolutely. Everything that you just said, um, I think that the sense of communities is super important, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing that, yes, I, I have all these emotions that are popping up for me, um, that, that are really challenging and also hearing from my peers and my teacher that they too feel this way Mm -hmm. and that I am not alone in, in this feeling and the strong feeling, you know, Mark Brackett, who um, I think we mentioned before on, on this uh, podcast, um, who is the, uh, the director for the uh, Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, says, if you can name it, you can tame it, mm-hmm. right? So if you can name what that emotion is, um, then it begins to lower the affect to just, just the simple um, way of, of, of knowing what it is that's going through you. And then also knowing that your friend, your classmate, your teacher, I think that sense of communal um, uh, stress, mm-hmm. if you will, in, in some ways lowers the negative affect of that, mm-hmm. that stress and helps us to, uh, to Shauna's point, helps us to then lean in and stay engaged and, and learn and be much productive in the way that we accomplish academic tasks. That's great. Now, I want to pivot slightly because um, we're talking a lot about what teachers can do and um, what is one of the unintended consequences of this, uh, you know, uh, stay-at-home order is that we have created literally millions of first-time teachers. And I'm talking about (laughs) parents, right? Um, These parents who are now at home who are having to facilitate this online learning with most of most parents have zero training in how to be teachers. And now they are being given, I'm seeing Facebook posts of parents who, you know, are saying like, what are you nuts? Are you giving me six hours worth or or schoolwork? And you expect me to, to facilitate six hours of schooling with my kids with zero training. And by the way, I still have a full-time job. Hannah, I think you had mentioned that you had found a resource, um, online about uh, how folks might be struggling with doing things for the first time and uh, would love for you to talk a little bit about uh, about that resource, but also just how, how can um, parents, these first-time teachers, um, think about giving themselves a little bit of grace, giving themselves permission uh, to some degree, Mark Brackett's book, Permission to Feel, Permission to Fail. Um, so we'd we'll love, we'll love to hear some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And permission to feel, permission to fail, all of that is very online with what I'm about to share. So Brene Brown, who, if you haven't heard of her, is an amazing research professor. She's done TED Talks, uh, written several best-selling books on the power of vulnerability. She recently came out with a podcast called Unlocking Us. And the episode I listened to yesterday was called FFT. For the sake of this podcast and this conversation, I'm going to refer to it as effing first time. And (laughs) if you're sharing this with kids, you could do TFT, terrible first time. But we'll just stick with FFT. So like we were talking about parents, are in a position, a lot of parents are in a position they've never been in before. Same with educators, teachers, school social workers, school counselors. Really, all of us are in a position we've never been in before. So 
So we're in a collective FFT right now. Hmm. <laughs> um, so in this podcast, Brene talks about a framework for really coping with being in an FFT. And it explains that an FFT is one of the most vulnerable positions we can be in. So the first strategy uh, for coping with an FFT is normalizing. And that really has to do with our conversation we've had about naming our feelings, acknowledging we're in an FFT, and acknowledging this is hard and this is scary. Then the second part of this framework is to put it in perspective. So recognizing this is new, this isn't permanent, and really taking a step back. There's something we can learn from this. And the third step to this strategy is doing a reality check for our expectations. So recognizing this is going to be hard and messy and there's going to be failure. So as we talk about distance learning and the transition that educators are going through and families are going through and our students are going through, we can use this framework to start giving ourselves some room to process the transition we're going through before jumping straight into the content itself. And so I was thinking about distance learning in this context. So for that first step for the FFT, normalize. I want to be clear that this is not a normal situation. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we need to normalize what's going on. I interpret it more as normalizing how we feel about it. So in this situation, normalizing might look like I'm suddenly having to teach my child all of the curriculum they were getting at school. This is hard. This is scary. I don't know what I'm doing. Then, and when then also, also, I wonder, Hannah, if the normalizing also goes back to something that we were talking about earlier, which is um, uh, so many other folks are in the same position as I am. Right. So it's it's normal in the sense that like this, this new, this FFT is normal because we're all in this FFT. Absolutely. And so it's perfectly normal for us to be feeling crappy about it. Absolutely. And I would say that's part of normalizing. And I think that even leads into the second part of the strategy, which is perspective and having that kind of communal or universal perspective we're all navigating this together and mm -hmm. it's hard and we're not in this alone. And when I was thinking about distance learning with, with perspective, I was really thinking about remembering I'm resilient and my students are resilient. So again, taking that step back to give yourself a little perspective for what is going on right now. And the last step, which is reality checking expectations, I think we all need to really focus on this step more than anything right now and recognize that this is going to be messy. The transition to distance learning and to every other aspect of what's going on right now is going to be messy. It's going to be imperfect or imperfect. And we'll just do our best. 
And I think even with our podcast, we've been in an FFT and (laughs) we've had technical challenges all day today and kind of giving ourselves that grace as well. This is messy and we're just figuring it out as we go. I, I love that you even said that because, you know, today in particular, this um, this whole process is really challenging. I'm getting some background noise now from somebody's microphone. Um, we've gotten kicked off this app like three different times. And it's it's kind of driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> like I'm I'm having a hard time self-regulating even right now. I don't know what that, what is that background noise right now? Somebody's microphone is, is rubbing up against something. I don't know what it is, but it's making me crazy. Um, and so if I were a teacher um, trying to do my lesson, right? Like I'm a, maybe I'm a fantastic teacher and I know I'm a fantastic teacher and I have a really strong sense of confidence in my ability to be in a classroom full of 30 students and facilitate uh, or, or teach a lesson, but now I have to do it online. And I'm like, I mean, you, since you already used the, the FFT, I'm going to say as a teacher, I'm like, F this, this sucks, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to do this. Um, yeah. And so when we say we want to normalize the, the process, normalizing the fact that you as a, as a master teacher are struggling right now with doing online learning and just wanting to say F it, that's okay, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, per- that's a perfectly normal response to what is happening right now. We're in a global pandemic. We can't leave our house. We, got, we heard the, on the news that we can't even go grocery shopping. And if we do, we have to wear a mask. Um, and now we have to do, you know, create six hours of content per day for students and try to facilitate that online. If you want to say F it to that, that's okay, right? That's a perfectly normal response. And I think as a parent, being at home saying, you know, I have to work a full-time job, but now also maybe even share my computer with my students so that they can continue learning is ridiculously challenging. And I think- think, And I just want to hop in there. Actually, that's even a benefit that- that's a, that's something that actually most a lot of parents actually can't do. That's right. There's a lot of parents that are unemployed. Mm-hmm. So that adds that layer of stress. It's not just those of us that get to work from home and the luxury and the privilege of working from home or trying our best to do so. There's a whole subset of our community, our nation that actually lost their jobs that don't have any income. So it's that pressure as well, which is mm-hmm. monumental. That's right. Um, and, yeah. and, and the, the, maybe one of the last things I want to share is, um, you know, there's lots of articles uh, about this, you know, articles about online learning and the Washington post, New York times, uh, articles about, um, you know, uh, staying at home, there's, there's now all these home workout apps and the, you know, this idea of creating expectations. Um, but there's an article that has made it for rounds a little bit. Uh, it's an article in psychology today. And the article is by Rebecca Schrag Hirschberg. Uh, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. And the title is called parenting right now is really hard and other obvious things that need to be said again and again and again. <laughs> and, the, the gist of it right now is exactly what it sounds like. Parenting is really hard and that we need to actually understand and normalize the fact that we are all in a collective trauma, 
we're anxious, yeah. we're grieving. It doesn't look the way like the like it should in the movies. Um, and a couple of tips that she offers, which I just found to be very helpful. Number one, we are not working from home, right? This is you're not telecommuting. You know, you know, you're not in a virtual office space. You are self quarantined at home because there's a global pandemic, and you're trying to get some, get a little bit of work done while you're doing that. Right. That is and not I'm, the same as work, working from home. Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Hannah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I so, so appreciate that. And I think you said this earlier, but the power of language around this is so Mm -hmm. important. And I think that reframe is really, really critical right now. Yeah. And in a very similar vein, um, you parents who are home right now, you are not homeschooling because you're not trained as a teacher. And you didn't make this choice. You didn't make the choice to keep your child home and do homeschooling. You are self-quarantined under a stay-at-home order, and you're trying to get a little bit of learning done for your students. And this is a totally new thing. And uh, if you are frustrated about it, you should be. That's okay. Yeah. And, and if you're struggling with it, well, that makes sense. Of course you're struggling mm-hmm. with it. Um, and then, you know, there's just a couple other things. Yeah, you know, um, you're, uh, to Shauna's point, you're allowed to recognize how privileged you are and feel sad, scared, and anxious at the same time. Yeah, yeah, Those things can coexist. You can be privileged and also terribly frustrated, anxious, and scared. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to feel bad about feeling bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, you know, uh, anyway, she, can, she continues in this article. Um, but it's a really wonderful kind of reframe about uh, what's going on here and what are our expectations? What are our expectations as educators? Understanding that this is brand new and the mastery you had in your classroom may not translate. And it, it won't actually uh, for several weeks. Um, you student, your level of mastery that you had or your actual motivation to, do, to, do, uh, to be a great student may be totally different. You as a parent uh, who may be you know, uh, have privilege or don't have privilege, the feelings you're feeling, whatever they are, they're okay. And that um, all of this goes essentially back to that, that wheel, those competencies. If you can name it, you can tame it. Uh, creating connections, social awareness and, and, uh, and relationship building. And the ability to self-regulate uh, leads to being able to co-regulate, which leads to being able to build relationships, which leads to responsible decision-making. And if you are in a heightened state in that stress response that, Sh- that Shauna talked about, you're probably not going to be making very responsible decisions. And mm-hmm. so first and foremost, we have to be able to help ourselves regulate um, before any teaching and learning can take place. It's very complex. There's no simple solution and by the way, uh, I fail at it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and so just acknowledging and giving ourselves permission and grace um, in that failure to deal with this collective trauma that we're all in and keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing the best we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what a powerful thing to be able to share with your students also, obviously mm. developmentally appropriate, <laughs> different right. ages can digest that sort of um, honest, vulnerable reflection differently. But 
um, I know that that transparency sometimes for, for kids can be really powerful, right? Us educators, we are a, another set of examples for kids about how to adult, you know, mm-hmm. how to be grownups. And that's another major purpose of schooling is to help these young people learn how to grow up and how to be adults. And part of being an adult is responding to stressful, challenging, difficult things and being honest about it and being able, being vulnerable about it with kids and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. Let's talk about this hard time. Mm-hmm. Or can we share with each other, right? That, that being able to process that with students and um, developmentally appropriate ways can be really powerful for them, right? Because right now, kids are getting a front row seat to how their parents or caregivers are actually responding to extreme stress, right? And if we can offer them an alternative way to manage and respond to some of that stress, um, I think that's really powerful, a really powerful model for them as well. That's great. Well, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate all of you. Um, I also appreciate our ability to self-regulate and co-regulate during some (laughs) difficult technical challenges um once again my name is chris williams uh with sacramento county office of ed hannah colentine cole sacramento county office of education uh joined as always by shauna cook harvey of Folsom cordova unified school district and micey lee of sac city unified school district please feel free to reach out to any of us uh with suggested topics with feedback with questions. Um, We have tools posted on our respective websites and we will continue to post uh, other tools through social media. And we will be back again next week to talk more about this and likely talk about the student experience, um, particularly those students who are in transitional years, uh, seniors who may or may not be missing on a graduation prom uh, yearbook exchanges uh, and, and what, are those students facing and uh and how can we be supporting them thanks very much i really enjoyed chatting with you all and look forward to our next conversation thanks Thanks. chris see you next time all right (laughs) 